0: Peace and blessings, everyone. I'm your host, Sean Crystal Parker, and welcome to episode 50 of Real Shift Happens. And in this episode, we are continuing our read of part two of the book, Freedom for All by Neville Goddard. So stay tuned because you don't want to miss a thing. go within, things. walking in the fertile soil of my own being. There, my ancestors' fossilized footprints lead the path to my destiny, embedded in my soul. I can feel the pain and the toil, the sorrow. I bear the weight on my shoulders, but also the joy, the laughter, the song. I hear my community deep within my spirit, quietly guiding my footsteps along the path. I. Go with it. Thank you so much for joining me. So, this episode, we're reading part two of the book Freedom for All by Neville Goddard. And in the last episode, I think I mentioned that it went to chapter eight, but it's actually nine. So, um, but anyway, this book is still pretty short and very, very concise and chalked full of so much goodness. Also, I promise y'all, I'm trying to get a steady day in time to release new episodes every week. So thanks so much for those of you who've hung in there through the ups and downs. Thanks for rocking with me. And I promise it'll get better. Anyway, I'm excited to finish part two of the book. And we're going to get right into that right after our five minute focus shift. Right now. Returning to the source is serenity. We will now begin the meditation. Sit comfortably, upright, wherever you are, and close your eyes. Relax your body from your head all the way down to your toes. Release all the worry from the day. Begin to notice your breathing. Focus in on each breath that you take, in and out, and let your mind relax. Now, quietly in your mind, repeat the vibration and universal mantra, rum, rum. Closed. Release the mantra, Rum, and keeping your eyes closed here, just getting yourself situated back into your space. Close for as long as you want and whenever you're ready go ahead and open your eyes and we're coming back to present moment awareness and just take a minute to get situated and center yourself back in the room or wherever you are sitting and just take a minute breathe yeah we're back we're back and i know it felt good you can't tell me it didn't okay i know it did (laughs) um because i do it every day myself so i know And it's something that's really hard to explain to people because you really, really, really have to experience it, right? And now, say this is your first time, now you know. Now you know. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell everyone. And continue to do it. I'm serious. You'll feel better and better every time. So... Now for the topic at hand, we are reading part two of the book Freedom for All by Neville Goddard and part two I'm saying because I broke it up into two parts. It's actually a nine chapter book. So we're going to continue with chapters five through nine and like I mentioned before, I wanted to read the entire book because it's just so packed with so many jewels that like a mere review of this book could not do it justice i'm not even kidding like it's just a lot to hear and process and you have to really hear and re- or read the words for yourself and let it absorb in you so you can really 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 process what he is saying um, and especially for those of you who already read and know the stories in the Bible, um, some of you, you know, this type of interpretation may be kind of a shock because you may have always viewed the Bible from kind of a literal standpoint or just like a historical standpoint, and and that's fine. Like um, that that you know what if you believe it to be literal is does not take away from this interpretation um, because you can add layers upon the literal meaning that you already have for yourself and just kind of contemplate on an even deeper meaning that may be there in, in the Bible. And if you um, think about it, the Bible is symbolic and even has esoteric meanings beyond the literal meaning. It, I mean, I think that's kind kind of co- common knowledge and that's why it's so hard for people to read it and also why they say it's written in a code because it's um it you know it's up for interpretation and also um you know, it's just levels, levels of meanings within it, right? There's a, oh, there's a good book, The Bible Code. Ooh, pick that book up. It's kind of, it's, I think it's from the early 2000s. It is deep. It, that's a whole nother layer of meaning that they're saying is within the Bible. But anyway, keeping this in mind, okay, let's get into part two of the book Freedom for All by Neville Goddard right now returning to the source is serenity chapter 5 the sabbath six days shall work be done but on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day a sabbath of rest to the lord exodus thirty-one fifteen. Leviticus 23.3 These six days are not 24-hour periods of time. They symbolize the psychological moment a definite subjective state is fixed. These six days of work are subjective experiences and consequently cannot be measured by the sidereal time. For the real work of fixing a definite psychological state Is done in consciousness the time spent in consciously defining yourself as that which you desire to be is the measure of these six days a change of consciousness is the work done in these six creative days a psychological adjustment which is measured not by sidereal time but by actual subjective accomplishment just as life in retrospect is measured not by years, but by the content of those years, so too is this psychological interval measured, not by the time spent in making the adjustment, but by the accomplishment of that interval. The the true meaning of six days of work creation is revealed in the mystery of the Va, which is the sixth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and the third letter in the divine name, Jod-Yi-Vah, He. As previously explained in the mystery of the name Jehovah, Vah means to nail or join. The creator is joined to his creation through feeling, and the time that it takes you to fix a definite feeling is the true measure of these six days of creation. Mentally separating yourself from the objective world and attaching yourself through the secret of feeling to the subjective state is the function of the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet Va, or the six days of work. There is always an interval between the fixed impression or subjective state and the outward expression of that state. The interval is called the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the mental rest which follows the physical psychological state. It is the result of your six days of work. The Sabbath was made for man, Mark two twenty seven. This mental rest which follows a successful conscious impregnation is the period of mental pregnancy, a period which is made for the purpose of incubating The manifestation it was made for the manifestation the manifestation was not made for it automatically you keep the Sabbath a day of rest a period of mental rest if you succeed in accomplishing your six days of work there can be no Sabbath no seventh day no period of mental rest until the six days are over until the psychological adjustment is accomplished and the mental impression is fully made. Man is warned that if he, if he fails to keep the Sabbath, if he fails to enter into the rest of God, he will also fail to receive the promise. He will fail to realize his desires. The reason for this is simple and obvious. There can be no mental rest until conscious impressions are made. If a man fails to fully impress upon himself the fact that he now has that which heretofore he desired to possess, he will continue to to desire it, and therefore he will not be mentally at rest or satisfied. If, on the other hand, He succeeds in making this conscious adjustment so that upon emerging from the period of silence or his subjective six days of work, he knows by his feeling that he has the thing desired, then he automatically enters the Sabbath or the period of mental rest. Pregnancy follows impregnation. Man does not continue desiring that which he has already acquired. The Sabbath can be kept as a day of rest only after man succeeds in becoming conscious of being that which before entering the silence he desired to be. The Sabbath is the result of the six days of work. The man who knows the true meaning of these six work days realizes that the observance of the one day of the week as a day of physical quietness is not keeping the Sabbath. The peace and the quiet of the Sabbath can be experienced only when man has succeeded in becoming conscious of being that which he desires to be. If he fails to make this conscious impression, he has missed the mark. He has sinned. For to sin is to miss the mark. To fail to achieve one's objective a state in which there is no peace of mind if I had not come and spoken unto them they had not had sin John fifteen twenty two. if man had not been presented with an ideal state toward which to aim a state to be desired and acquired he would have been satisfied with his lot in life and would never have known sin. Now that man knows that his capacities are infinite, knows that by working six days or by making a psychological adjustment, he can realize his desires, he will not be satisfied until he achieves his every objective. He will, with the true knowledge of these six work days, define his objective and set about becoming conscious of being it when this conscious impression is made it is automatically followed by a period of mental rest a period the mystic calls the sabbath an interval in which the conscious impression will be gestated and physically expressed the word will be made flesh but that is not the end The Sabbath, or rest, which will be broken by the embodiment of the idea, will sooner or later give way to to another six days of work as man defines another objective and begins anew the act of defining himself as that which he desires to be. Man has been stirred out of his sleep through the medium of desire and can find no rest until he realizes his desire. But before he can enter into the rest of God or keep the Sabbath, before he can walk unafraid and at peace, he must become a good spiritual marksman and learn the secret of hitting the mark or working six days, the secret by which he lets go the objective state and adjusts himself to this subjective This secret was revealed in the the divine name, Jehovah, and again in the story of Isaac blessing his son, Jacob. If man will apply the formula as it is revealed on these Bible dramas, he will hit a spiritual bullseye every time, for he will know that the mental rest or Sabbath is entered Only as he succeeds in making a psychological adjustment. The story of the crucifixion beautifully traumatizes these six days or psychological period and the seventh day of rest. It is recorded that it was the custom of the Jews to have someone released from prison at the feast of the Passover and that they were given the choice of having released unto them either Barabbas the robber or Jesus the Savior, and they cried, Release Barabbas, John eighteen forty. 40, whereupon Barabbas was released and the Jesus was crucified. It is further recorded that Jesus the Savior was crucified on the sixth day, entombed or buried on the seventh, and resurrected on the first day. The savior in your case is that which would save you from that which you are not conscious of being while Barabbas the thief is your present conception of yourself which robs you of that which you would like to be in defining your savior you define that which you would save that which would save you and not how you would be saved your savior or desire has ways ye know not of. His ways are past finding out. Romans 11.33 Every problem reveals its own solution. If you are imprisoned, you would automatically desire to be free. Freedom, then, is the thing that would save you. It is your Savior. Having discovered your Savior, the next step in this great drama of the resurrection is to release Barabbas, the robber, your present concept of yourself and to crucify your savior or fix the consciousness of your being or having that which would save you. Barabbas represents your present problem. Your savior is that which would free you from this problem. You release Barabbas by taking your attention away from your problem away from your sense of limitation, for it robs you of the freedom that you seek. And you crucify your Savior by fixing a definite psychological state by feeling that you are free from the limitation of the past. You deny the evidence of the senses and begin to feel subjectively the joy of being free. You feel the state of freedom Freedom to be so real that you too cry out, I am free. It is finished. John 19.30 The fixing of this subjective state, the crucifixion, takes place on the sixth day. Before the sun sets on this day, you must have completed the fixation by feeling, it is so. It is finished. The subjective knowing is followed by the Sabbath or mental rest. You will be as one buried or entombed, for you will know that no matter how mountainous the barriers, how impassable the walls appear to be, your crucified and buried Savior, your present subjective fixation, will resurrect himself. By keeping the Sabbath a period of mental rest, by assuming the attitude of mind that would be yours, if you were already visibly expressing this freedom, you will receive the promise of the Lord. For the word will be made flesh. The subjective fixation will embody itself. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Hebrew 4.4 4. Your consciousness is God resting in the knowledge that It is well, it is finished, and your objective senses shall confirm that it is so, for the day shall reveal it. Chapter 6, Healing The formula for the cure of leprosy as revealed in the 14th chapter of Leviticus is most illuminating when viewed through the eyes of a mystic. This formula can be prescribed as the positive cure of any disease in man's world, be it physical, mental, financial, social, moral, anything. It matters not about the nature of the disease or its duration, for the formula can be successfully applied to any and all of them. Here is the formula as it is recorded in the book of Leviticus. Then shall the priest command to take for him, that is to be cleansed, two birds alive and clean. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed. As for the living bird, he shall take it and shall dip it in the blood of the bird that was killed. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose into the open field, and he shall be cleaned. 14, four through eight. A literal application of this story would be stupid and fruitless, while on the other hand, a psychological application of the formula is wise and fruitful. A bird is a symbol of an idea, Every man who has a problem or who desires to express something other than that which he is now expressing can be said to have two birds. These two birds or conceptions can be defined as follows. The first bird is your present, out-pictured conception of yourself. It is the description which you would give if you were asked to define yourself your physical condition, your income, your obligations, your nationality, family, race, and so on. Your sincere answer to these questions would necessarily be based solely upon the evidence of your senses and not upon any wishful thinking. This true conception of yourself based entirely upon the evidences of your senses defines the first bird. The second bird is defined by the answer you wish you might give in these questions of self-definition. In short, these two birds can be defined as that which you are conscious of being and that which you desire to be. Another definition of the two birds would be the first, your present problem regardless of its nature, and the second, the solution to that problem. For example, if you were sick, good health would be the solution. If you were in debt, freedom from debt would be the solution. If you were hungry, food would be the solution. As you have noticed the how, the manner of realizing the solution is not considered. Only the problem and the solution are considered every problem reveals its own solution. For sickness, it is health. For poverty, it is riches. For weakness, it is strength. For confinement, it is freedom. These two states then, your problem and its solution, are the two birds you bring to the priest. You are the priest who now performs the drama of the curing of the man of leprosy you and your problem you are the priest and with the formula for the cure of leprosy you now free yourself from your problem first take one of the birds your problem and kill it by extracting the blood from it blood is man's consciousness he hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, Acts 17:26. Your consciousness is the one and only reality which animates and makes real that which you are conscious of being. So turning your attention away from the problem is equivalent to extracting the blood from the bird. Your consciousness is the one blood which makes all states living realities. By removing your attention from any given state, you have drained the lifeblood from that state. You kill or eliminate the first bird, your problem, by removing your attention from it. Into this blood, your consciousness, you dip the live bird, the solution, or that which you heretofore you desired to be or possess. This you do by freeing yourself to be, the desirable state now the dipping of the live bird into the blood of the bird that was killed is similar to the blessing of jacob by his blind father isaac as you recall blind isaac could not see his objective world his son esau you too are blind to your problem The first bird for you have removed your attention from and therefore you do not see it. Your attention, the blood, is now placed upon the second bird, your subjective state, and you feel and sense the reality of it. Seven times you are told to sprinkle the one to be cleansed. This means you must dwell within the new conception of yourself Until you mentally enter the seventh day, the Sabbath, until the mind is stilled or fixed in the belief that you are actually expressing or possessing that which you desire to be or to possess. At the seventh sprinkle, you are instructed to lose the living bird and pronounce the man clean. As you fully impress upon yourself the fact that you are that which you desire to be, you have symbolically sprinkled yourself seven times. Then you are as free as the bird that is loosed. And like the bird in flight which must in a little while return to the earth, so must your subjective impressions or claim in a little while embody itself in your world this story and all the other stories of the bible are psychological plays dramatized within the consciousness of man you are the high priest you are the leper you are the birds your consciousness or i am is the high priest you the man with the problem are the leper The problem, your present concept of yourself, is the bird that is killed. The solution of the problem, what you desire to be, is the living bird that is freed. You reenact this great drama within yourself by turning your attention away from your problem and placing it upon that which you desire to express. You impress upon yourself the fact that you are that which you desire to be until your mind is stilled in the belief that that is so. Living in this fixed attitude of mind, living in the consciousness that you are now that which you are formerly that which you formerly desired to be, is the bird in flight, unfettered by the limitations of the past, and moving toward the embodiment of your desire. Chapter seven. Desire the Word of God. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Isaiah fifty five eleven God speaks to you through the medium of your basic desires. Your basic desires are words of promise or prophecies that contain within themselves the plan and power of expression. By basic desire is meant your real objective. Secondary desires deal with the manner of realization. God, your I am, speaks to you the conditioned conscious state through your basic desires secondary desires or ways of expression are the secrets of your I am the all-wise father your father I am reveals the first and last I am the beginning and the end revelation 1 8 22 13 But never does he reveal the middle of his secret of his ways. That is, the first is revealed as the word, your basic desire. The last is its fulfillment, the word made flesh. The second or middle, the plan of unfoldment, is never revealed to man, but remains forever the father's secret. For I testify unto every man that heareth the word of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto those things, God shall add unto him the plagues that were written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Ebedim 22, 18-19 The words of prophecy spoken of in the book of Revelation are basic desires which must not be further conditioned. Man is constantly adding to and taking from these words. Not knowing that the basic desire contains the plan and power of expression, man is always compromising and complicating his desire. Here is an illustration of what man does to the word of prophecy, his desire. Man desires freedom from his limitation or problem. The first thing he does after he defines his objective is to condition it upon something else. He begins to speculate on the manner of acquiring it. Not knowing that the thing desired has a way of expression all of its own, he starts planning how he is going to get it, thereby adding to the word of God. If, on the other hand, he has no plan or conception as to the fulfillment of his desire, then he compromises his desire by modifying it. He feels that if he will be satisfied with less than his basic desire, then he might have a better chance of realizing it. In doing so, he takes from the word of God. Individuals and nations alike are constantly violating this law of their basic desire by plotting and planning the realization of their ambitions. They thereby add to the word of prophecy, or they compromise with their ideals, thus taking from the word of God. The inevitable result is death and plagues, or failure, and frustration as promised for such violations. God speaks to man only through the medium of his basic desires. Your desires are determined by your conception of yourself. Of themselves they are neither good or evil. I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Christ Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself but to him that seeth anything to be unclean to him in is unclean. Romans 14.14 14. Your desires are the natural and automatic result of your present conception of yourself. God and your unconditioned consciousness is impersonal and no respecter of persons. Acts 10.34 and Romans 2.11 Your unconditioned consciousness, God, gives to your conditioned consciousness, man, through the medium of your basic desires, that which your conditioned state, your present conception of yourself, believes it needs. As long as you remain in your present conscious state, so long will you continue desiring that which you now desire. Change your conception of yourself and you will automatically change the nature of your desires. Desires are states of consciousness seeking embodiment. They are formed by man's consciousness and can easily be expressed by the man who has conceived them. Desires are expressed when the man who has conceived them assumes the attitude of mind that would be his if the state's desired were already expressed. Now, because desires, regardless of their nature, can be so easily expressed by fixed attitudes of mind, a word of warning must be given to those who have not yet realized the oneness of life, and who do not know the fundamental truth that consciousness is God, the one and only reality. This warning was given to man in the famous golden rule. Do unto others that which you would have them do unto you. Matthew 7.21 You may desire something for yourself, or you may desire for another. If your desire concerns another, make sure that the thing desired is acceptable to that other. The reason for this warning is that your consciousness is God, the giver of all gifts. Therefore, that which you feel and believe to be true of another is a gift you have given him. The gift that is not accepted returns to the giver. Be sure then that you would love to possess the gift yourself for if you fix a belief within yourself as true of another and he does not accept this state of state as true of himself this unaccepted gift will embody itself within your world always hear and accept as true of others that which you would desire for yourself In doing so, you are building heaven on earth. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you is based upon this law. Only accept such states as true of others that you would willingly accept as true of yourself that you may constantly create heaven on earth. Your heaven is defined by the state of consciousness in which you live which state is made up of all that you accept as true of yourself and true of others. Your immediate environment is defined by your own conception of yourself plus your convictions regarding others which have not been accepted by them. Your conception of another, which is not his conception of of himself is a gift returned to you. Suggestions like propaganda are boomerangs unless they are accepted by those to whom they are sent. So your world is a gift you have given to yourself. The nature of the gift is determined by your conception of yourself plus the unaccepted gifts you offered others. Make no mistake about this law Law is no respecter of persons. Discover the law of self-expression and live by it. Then you will be free. With this understanding of the law, define your desire. Know exactly what you want. Make certain that it is desirable and acceptable. The wise and disciplined man sees no barrier to the realization of his desire. He sees nothing to destroy. With a fixed attitude of mind, he recognizes that the thing desired is already fully expressed, for he knows that a fixed subjective state has ways and means of expressing itself, of which no man knows. Before they ask, I have answered. Isaiah 65, 24 I have ways ye not know of. Isaiah 42.16 My ways are past finding out. Romans 11.33 The undisciplined man, on the other hand, constantly sees opposition to the fulfillment of his desire, and because of the frusta- frustration, he forms desires of destruction, which he firmly believes must be expressed before his basic desire can be realized. When man discovers this law of one consciousness, he will understand the great wisdom of the golden rule, and so he will live by it, and prove to himself that the kingdom of heaven is on earth. You will realize why you should do unto others that which you would have them do unto you. You will know why you should live by this golden rule because you will discover that it is just good common sense to do so since the rule is based upon life's changeless law and is no respecter of persons. Consciousness is the one and only reality. The world and all within it are states of consciousness objectified. Your world is defined by your conception of yourself plus your conceptions of others which are not their conceptions of themselves. The story of the Passover is to help you turn your back on the limitations of the present and pass over into a better and freer state. The suggestion to follow the man with the picture of water mark 14:13 and luke 22:10 was given to the disciples to guide them to the last supper or the feast of the passover the man with the pitcher of water is the 11th disciple simon of canaan the disciplined quality of mind which hears only dignified noble and kindly states the mind that is disciplined to hear only the good feats upon good states and so embodies the good on earth. If two would attend the Last Supper, the great feast of the Passover, then follow this man. Assume this attitude of mind symbolized as the man with the pitcher of water and you will live in a world that is really heaven on earth. The Feast of the Passover is the secret of changing your consciousness. You turn your attention from your present conception of yourself and assume the consciousness of being that which you want to be, thereby passing from one state to another. This feat is accomplished with the help of the Twelve Disciples, which are the Twelve Disciplined Qualities of Mind. Uh, see faith is your fortune by the same author on chapter 18 so there's 12 discipline qualities of mind anyway chapter 8 faith as jesus said unto them because of your unbelief for verily i say unto you if ye have faith as great as a grain of a mustard seed ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you matthew seventeen twenty This faith of a grain of mustard seed has proved a stumbling block to man, first corinthians one twenty three He has been taught to believe that a grain of mustard seed signifies a small degree of faith. So he naturally wonders why he, a mature man, should lack this insignificant measure of faith when so small an amount assures success. Faith, he is told, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 1. And again, Through faith, the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do not appear. Hebrews 11.3 Invisible things were made visible. The grain of mustard seed is not the measure of a small amount of faith. On the contrary, it is the absolute in faith. A mustard seed is consciousness of being a mustard seed and a mustard seed alone. It is not aware of any other seed in the world. It is sealed in the conviction that it is a mustard seed in the same manner that the spermatozoa sealed in the womb is conscious of being man and only man. A grain of mustard seed is truly the measure of faith necessary to accomplish your every objective. But like the mustard seed, you too must lose yourself in the consciousness of being only the thing desired. You abide within this sealed state until it bursts itself and reveals your conscious claim. Faith is feeling or living in the consciousness of being the thing desired. Faith is the secret of creation, the Va in the divine name, jo he Faith is the ham in the family of Noah. Faith is the sense of feeling by which Isaac blessed and made real his son Jacob. By faith, God... Your consciousness calleth things that are not seen as though they were and makes them seen. It is faith which enables you to become conscious of being the thing desired. Again, it is faith which seals you in this conscious state until your invisible claim ripens to maturity and expresses itself. Or is made visible faith or feelings is the secret of this appropriation through feeling the consciousness desiring is joined to the thing desired how would you feel if you were that which you desire to be where the mood this feeling is that would be yours if you were already that which you desire to be and in a little while you will be sealed in the belief that you are then without effort this invisible state will objectify itself the invisible will be made visible if you had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed you would this day through the magical substance of feeling seal yourself in the consciousness of being that which you desire to be, in this mental stillness or tomb-like state, you would remain confident, confident that you need no one to roll away the stone. Matthew twenty-eight two, Mark sixteen three, Luke twenty-four two, John twenty-one. For all the mountains, stones, and inhabitants of earth are nothing in your sight. Isaiah 40, 17, Daniel four thirty two. That which you now recognize to be true of yourself, this present conscious state, will do according to its nature among all the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay, its hand, or say unto it, What doest thou? Daniel 4.32 None can stop this conscious state in which you are sealed from embodying itself, nor question its right to be. This conscious state, when properly sealed by faith, is a word of God, I am. For the man so seated is saying, I am so-and-so and the word of God my fixed conscious state is spirit and cannot return unto me void but must accomplish whereunto it is sent God's word your conscious state must embody itself that you may know I am the Lord there is no God beside me Isaiah forty five five, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, John one fourteen, and he sent his word and healed him, Psalm one o seven twenty. You too can send your word, God's word, and heal a friend. Is there something that you would like to hear of a friend? Define this something that you know he would love to be or to possess. Now with your desire properly defined, you would have a word of God. To send this word on its way, to speak this word into being, you simply do this. Sit quietly where you are and assume the mental attitude of listening. Recall your friend's voice. With this familiar voice established in your consciousness, imagine that you are actually hearing his voice and that he is telling you that he is or has that which you wanted him to be or to have. Impress upon your consciousness the fact that you actually heard him and that he told you what you wanted to hear. Feel the thrill of having heard. Then drop it completely. This is the mystic secret of sending words into expression, of making the word flesh. You form within yourself the word, the thing you want to hear. Then you listen and tell it to yourself. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. 1 Samuel 3, 9 and 10 Your consciousness is the Lord speaking through the familiar voice of a friend and impressing it on yourself that which you desire to hear. This self-impregnation, the state impressed upon yourself, the word, has ways and means of expressing itself of which no man knows. As you succeed in making the impression you will be unmoved, by appearances for this self impression is sealed as a grain of mustard seed and will in due season mature to its full expression chapter nine the Annunciation the use of a friend's voice to impregnate oneself with a desirable state is beautifully told in the story of the immaculate conception one It is recorded that God sent an angel to Mary to announce the birth of his son, and the angel said unto her, Thou shalt receive in thy womb, and bring forth a son. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come unto thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, therefore also that the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of god for with god nothing shall be impossible luke 1 30 through 37 this is the story that has been told for centuries the world over but man has not told that it was written about himself so he has failed to receive the benefit it was intended to give him. The story reveals the method by which the idea or word was made flesh. God, we are told, germinated or begat an idea, a son, without the aid of another. Then he placed his germinal idea in the womb of Mary with the help of an angel who made the announcement to her and impregnated her with the idea. No simpler method method was ever recorded of consciousness impregnating itself than is found in the story of the Immaculate Conception. The four characters in this drama creation are the father the son Mary and the angel the father symbolizes your consciousness the son symbolizes your desire Mary symbolizes your receptive attitude of mind and the angel symbolizes the method used to make the impregnation the drama unfolds in this manner the father begets a son with the without the aid of another you define your objective you clarify your desire without the help or suggestion of another then the father selects that angel who best qualified to bear this message or germinal possibility to marry you select the person in your world who you would be sincerely thrilled in witnessing the fulfillment of your desire. Then Mary learns through the angel that she has already conceived a son without the aid of man. You assume a receptive attitude of mind, a listening attitude, and imagine you are hearing the voice of the one you have chosen to tell You, what you desire to know. Imagine that you hear him tell you that you are and have that which you desire to be and to have. You remain in this receptive state until you feel the thrill of having heard the good and wonderful news. Then, like Mary of the story, you go about your business in secret, telling no one of this wonderful. An immaculate self-impregnation, confident that in due season you will express this impression. The father generates the seed or germinal possibility of a son, but in a eugenic impregna- impregnation, he does not convey the spermatozoa from himself to the womb. He has it born through another medium. Consciousness desiring is the father generating the seed or idea. A clarified desire is the perfectly formed seed or the only begotten son. This seed is then carried from the father consciousness desiring to the mother consciousness of being and having the state desired. This change in consciousness is accomplished by the angel or imaginary voice of a friend telling you that you have already achieved your objective. The use of an angel or friend's voice to make conscious impressions is the shortest, safest and surest way to be self impregnated. With your desire properly defined you assumed an attitude of listening. Imagine you are hearing the voice of a friend. Then make him tell you, imagine he is telling you, how lucky and how fortunate you are to have fully realized your desire. In this receptive attitude of mind, you are receiving the message of an angel. You are receiving the impression that you are and have that which you desire to be and to have. The emotional thrill of having heard that which you desire to hear is the moment of conception. It is the moment you become self-impregnated, the moment you actually feel you are now that or have that which heretofore you but desire to be or to possess. As you emerge from this subjective experience, you, like Mary of the story, will know by your changed attitude of mind that you have conceived a son, that you have fixed a definite subjective state and will, in a little while, express or objectify this state. This book has been written to show you how to achieve your objectives. Apply the principle expressed herein, and all the inhabitants of Earth cannot stop you from realizing your desires. Okay, that's it. Yeah, this book is um, amazeballs. And if you truly, truly understand what was being said, it's really all about manifesting the life you want for yourself. And if you've never heard an interpretation like this, then you you know you might be a little thrown back, right? Like I said before, um, but I've been to many churches in my life and I know a lot of Christians and people of all types of faiths, but um, I've never heard this type of interpretation being taught in any of the common places or people um, that I know talk about it like this. Um, And as someone who is a sovereign spirit, um, meaning I don't consider myself belonging to any one religion. I feel like I've studied on a lot of all the religions, and I can see the similarities between them all and the basis of them all, right, being in being good or, you know, righteousness and, um, giving and these types of things. Right. Um, but more recently I've kind of just deepened my study to include finding the timelines and the origins of all the major religions, because just out of curiosity, you know, and not to my surprise, I found that. All of the major religions, including the yogic system of what we call the yogic system, dates back to ancient Africa and beyond. Um, so we have to remember that the history of like, say, ancient Kemet or Egypt span from 10,000 to some say 30 to 50,000 plus years BCE. So that's um, before um, common era. So we have to understand that the ancient, what they called, yog- what we call yogic system um, was under another name then, of course, and was in place well before any of the major religions and kind of also a foundation for a lot of the major religions because you have to you have to remember that uh, all the knowledge was in ancient Egypt and um, especially in the um, li- even in the libraries I mean of Alexandria the great library and uh, over the, the thousands of years that knowledge was was stolen and um, those land the lands were raped and pillaged and that's why you know, a lot of those monuments now are destroyed. It's not from time and weather, it's from wars and people from other cultures going there and stealing the knowledge and destroying the um, history of who actually created that knowledge. So, there's start to study up on that, and you'll see there's a lot a lot of stuff that is just been inverted a lot of information has been inverted and it's just upside down almost now so and even before ancient egyptian times there there was already a system a spiritual system practiced by the people that lived at that time and it was according to universal laws So people in those times understood and followed universal law and certain people were initiated into the mysteries or, you know, like a deeper meanings of life and, um, why and how we came to be. So there was just, you know, deeper knowledge that wasn't for everyone, but, for everyone, was universal law, which is pretty deep knowledge. If you go look up universal laws, is like, um, look up the Kabbalion and you'll see the seven principles of universal law. And they seem very, very simple, but to break them down into practical knowledge or practical application is something totally different. So, and it and it applies on so many levels, it's super deep. Okay, anyway. Um, all of what I'm saying is well-documented and you just got to do some research and some digging and you kind of have to go beyond the mainstream, everything. Okay. And a little tip for doing research is to stay away from Google, like Google being these types of search engines, Yahoo, they only, they're very, um, uh, with, they're very censored. So, they, they literally have people that browse through the information and censor and what, what's going to go into the search engines in those particular ones. So, go download a different browser on your phone or your computer or wherever you're doing this on your tablet. Um, like Brave is one, or Tor. I know a lot of people have heard of Tor, but Brave is also another one that blocks uh, a lot of spyware and a lot of private it has better privacy and use an alternative search engine too, like duck duck go in um, this way you will get a broader search search result without all the censoring that happens on um, the main search engines and browsers okay so um, the thing is is that if you examine what the Egyptologists in the mainstream academia are you know their story first off you'll see that they don't have a clue and um about what all of that meant back then and they all stick to the same story so and it used to be it used to be if you went against that story you were blacklisted um from the from the academic community of the Egyptologists and Zachariah Sitchin is one who um they kind of said was crazy and had all these weird ideas about the pyramids being energy centers and not tombs and now we're with all the information coming out we're seeing that people like Sitchin their proposition of what was going on back then is now proven to be correct and confirmed by multiple sources. So definitely look up Zachariah Sitchin. Anyway, um, ancient African spirituality viewed consciousness in the same way Goddard, Goddard explains his symbolic interpretations of stories in the Bible. So, um, for me, I can see the connection and it resonates so much. Also knowing that, um, Our major religions have a foundation in ancient African spirituality. And if you don't believe me, (laughs) do your research. Trust me. Trust me. Okay. Um, But don't trust me. Just do your research. Do your own research. You know what I'm saying? And come to your own conclusions. Because, honey, I've been on this for years, like 20 plus. But that's not to say I know everything, there's layers and layers and layers of knowledge. And if you continue to, to do the research, um, you will come upon grand knowledge and then you will come upon more knowledge that might even negate the other knowledge that you thought you knew. So it's, it's you know, it's definitely a rabbit hole. It's not for everyone. But if you are a seeker or if you're curious or, um, you know, like to research, I would, I would encourage you to do so. And I gave you a few, um, um, resources. Um, and I, I, I like to do that in all of my podcasts. So definitely be listening out for that. Um, and yeah, I think that's around it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And on that note, I, oh, you know what? Let me know uh, what you think. Do you agree? Do you disagree with this interpretation and why? Leave me a message at anchor.fm slash Happens, and let me know what you think. Um, you heard it right here. You heard the book and do you does this resonate with you or no so anyway let's go ahead and wrap it up here until next time what do we do we have to do the inner work and create a shift in our own consciousness and this will create a shift in the collective consciousness and that's the goal so don't forget guys you can also support the podcast at anchor.fm slash real shift happens And if you're on any of the platforms for podcasts, definitely subscribe, hit the notification so you know when the next episode is coming out and just look up Real Shift Happens Wellness Podcast. You'll find us on all of the major platforms for podcasts. And until next time, real shifters go within and make real shift happen.